How many of you guys were here on Easter Sunday last, last week? Okay? Most of you were here on Easter Sunday. Was it, it was, here's what happened Easter Sunday. We had four services. and We had record attendance that particular Sunday. We had, counting the kiddos and all their classes, over 1,700 people come to church here at the warehouse. Praise God. 1,700 people! Of those 1,700 people, over 75 people were baptized in water all day long. People getting baptized in the name of the Father. It was crazy! I wore over five pairs of pants that day. Not kidding, it's awesome. Here's the deal. I, just, I need you guys to be excited, because the devil doesn't want you to be excited. The devil wants you to freak out and weird out and frown out and all that stuff. Listen, God is doing something right now in our little socially, economically depressed drug-infected, abuse-ridden, divorce-laden, messed-up little Lincoln County. God is saying, oh, yeah? How about I start turning some lights on? And start delivering people from darkness and translating them into the marvelous light. God is doing stuff. Lest you be deceived. He wants to deceive you and think that we're not winning or there's no hope or we're just here and God's over there. As a matter of fact, I, I, I pray with other leaders in town. There's one particular leader. I don't want to mention names. But every time we pray, he cries out to God for revival. And when I hear this prayer, I just, I don't know, I, I wince. Because he cries out for revival as if it's not happening and not going to happen. And I just sit back and say, I, don't, I, I think it's happening. I think it, I don't know what a revival really looks like. I don't know. I don't know if anybody in a revival knows they're in one until you get back and look at the history. I don't know, but I know this for it to be true. If you want there to be a revival, here's how it works. Here's how it works. Go home today and take a piece of chalk and go into your garage or your sidewalk or the Fred Meyer bathroom. And take that chalk and draw a circle around yourself and pray that God would revive the person in that circle. Lord, would you just bring a revival to that person? That's all I'm going to worry about. Let that guy, let that girl be, let that person be revived. Instead of worrying about the other churches or the other people or the other pastors, oh, I want to walk in revival. I want to be fired up. I want to be excited. I want to, listen, very simply, I want to be satisfied in you. Right now, each and every person here, you're looking for satisfaction. You're looking for it in every single thing. A relationship, an experience, a double click, a, a, a thing, a toke, this. I just want to be satisfied. I'm telling you the truth right now. I'm telling you the trick right now. Your satisfaction is guaranteed when you place it firmly in God, in Christ. I just want to be satisfied in God. And when you do that, not only are you satisfied, but he is glorified. He is made out to be who he is. That is the giver of all good things, the giver of gifts, the one who sustains, who loves, who rescues, who chases, who fixes, who heals, who does everything we need done. And so I just want to say thank you, Jesus, for last Sunday, for Easter, for what God is doing here, for what God is going to do. It is all of grace all of Jesus. And we get the opportunity here today to study his word and to get into the text and get even more excited about what he's doing and come to the meeting later today and figure out what's going on in Cambodia and come on Tuesday and figure out who Jesus is and what the church is and what my part is and join a life group and all kinds of things. The sky's the limit, literally, literally, literally. Heaven is where we're going and we get to live like it until we get there. But before we begin, Interesting that 75 people got baptized last Sunday right over there. All their sin was sucked away into the filters. I hosed it out. It was pretty gnarly. I'm not messing. I'm not messing. It's gnarly. I wore gloves. 
And after an event like that, baptism, that's where we left off in the study of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is 30 years old. He's now entered onto the scene with his older cousin by six months, John the baptizer, J the B. And John is baptizing people, preparing the way by way of remission, baptism. And Jesus shows up, I'll get baptized, I'll get baptized. Now that was an Old Testament baptism. A baptism then before the New Testament, new promise, new covenant, new guarantee that is in Christ. It was an Old Testament baptism that said, man, I'm all messed up and I need to do something about it. The New Testament baptism is, man, I'm all messed up and Christ did something about it. That's the New Testament baptism. Christ did it. Jesus, though, said, I'm going to go on record and get baptized the Old Testament way. I'm going to go ahead and identify with sinners. I'm going to go ahead and do that. When he came up out of the water, we'll see in today's story that immediately he's driven into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. The Old Testament, or should I say New King James Version, says he's driven into the wilderness. My Bible says led. Driven, though, means that God picked him up, put him in the car, and drove him there, dropped him off. So you're not missing this appointment. I'm going to test you now. So, So when Jesus comes up out of the water, before he's even dried off, he puts his gloves on, his boxing gloves. And he says, all right, I'm going to go battle Satan now for 40 days. And let me just make the application. When those 75 people came up out of the water, there was tears. Ah, oh, fun, cheers, flowing, flying citizens and saints up on stage. Man, it was awesome. You know what that's, this week has been like for those folks, though? It's been a battle. It's been a test. You know what it was like for you this week? What it was like for me this week? It was a battle. It was a test, and we'll just coincidentally study the exact same portion of Scripture where Christ goes under and comes up and is immediately driven into the wilderness to be tested by the devil himself and to fight back and to win, because when you and I fight back, oftentimes we don't win. We get busted. We fall down. We've made mistakes, and so Jesus says, let me, let me go first. I'm just going to go ahead and I'll, I'll run the bases I'll go ahead and cover everything that needs to be covered for when you and when they and when them fall and fail, it'll be covered. So before we even study, I'm just going to pray and ask God to bless us and to open up our hearts and minds. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we humble ourselves in God's presence? Father, in Jesus' name now, as we study the beginning of your ministry, age 30, first thing you do is get baptized. That then leads directly to the battle, to the test. And you won. You were victorious. And then you lived the next three years perfectly teaching, preaching, sharing. And if that weren't enough, you then went to the cross to pay for all of our mistakes and all of our sin. You who knew no sin, you became sin that we gathered here today might become the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God. And so, God, I pray a blessing on this time as we gather together that you would revive us, that you would protect us, that you would bless us, that you would fill us in order that we might fight back as well. Each man, each woman here is tested and tempted and tried right now. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that we would rise into that battle, we'd step into that ring, step into that cage, and we'd fight back for the things of God. Anoint this time, Lord. I need your help to teach it. You know that. And so I ask for it. And these people, those watching online and gathered here, need help to hear it. You know that. And so we ask for ears to hear and eyes to see, for hearts to apply, and for all the glory to be yours and the grace to be ours. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, 
Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 is where we left off three weeks ago. Last week, we were in Luke 24, Resurrection Sunday. The week prior, we were in Mark 11, Palm Sunday, Jesus riding in on the back of a donkey. The week before, we were in Luke chapter 3, and now we're getting back to that text as we studied it out. This is where we ended. I just want you to see this. When all the people were baptized, verse 21, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Stop right there, eyes up here. Again, this is an Old Testament baptism, one that Jesus did not have to participate in. This was for sinners and sinners only. What does Jesus do? I'm going to get in the water too. John the Baptist rejects. No, 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 no. You, shouldn't. you should baptize me. And he says, Jesus says, let it happen that all things might be fulfilled. When Jesus got in that water, what he was doing was twofold. He was identifying with sinners, saying, I'm actually here for this purpose, to absorb sin, to beat sin, to fight sin, to pay. That's what I'm doing. Just don't be confused. There are people right now that are confused about Jesus. They think he was a good moral teacher, a good leader, a prophet amongst prophets, a guru of gurus. Eh. Jesus says, no, no, I'm the sacrificial lamb. I'm here to die for your sins. I will show you things and I will lead and teach. That's not it, though. What it is is I need to make a way for you to get to heaven. So he identifies with sin and sinners by getting in that water. Secondly, listen, lest you be misinformed, what Jesus is saying at the onset of his ministry is this is the beginning that will lead to the end. I'm here to die for sins. And the Father opens up heaven, sends down the Holy Spirit. His voice is heard audibly. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. You know only three times the Father's voice is heard from heaven? And all three of those times it's in regards to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That when Jesus said, okay, okay, I'm going to die to myself, die physically, die spiritually, I'm going to do this, heaven's like, whoa, I like that. Good call. And God will give that same approval to you and to I when we deny our flesh and say, you know what, I'm not so much living for the things of this world. Things of this world are cool and they're all right and they're fine, but when they become too important to my life, it's almost as if heaven shuts up a little bit. I'm super fulfilled down here. You ever been super fulfilled horizontally? You have everything you've ever wanted, and yet there's a leanness in your soul. There's something in you that says, ah, man, I got what I wanted. Got the car, got the job, got the girl, got the house, got the thing, got the clothes, got the beard, whatever. I got what I wanted. It's like, it's not really what I, there's something missing. God says, yeah, it's not about these things. It's about me and my kingdom. And when you deny yourself, Choosing to believe that what I have in store is greater than what you have. And Jesus does that, and he gets this approval from heaven. Son, in you I am well pleased. Now he goes on in verse 23. We'll talk about this because Jesus leaves this baptism scene, and I believe still wet, goes to the desert to fight. This mountaintop experience, this super high, leads into a super hard time. This triumph leads to a trial. This is the way it is. I wish it were not so. People have been praying for me because Sunday, last Easter, was really awesome. It was incredible. Knowing that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, there would be a battle for joy, for peace, for strength, for faith, for moving forward. And it's very true. The devil moves in just as soon as you've had a high time. I guarantee you there'll be a hard time. But before that, Luke inserts verses 23 through 38, the genealogy of Jesus. 
Okay, for you note takers or you skeptics or you critics or you evangelists or you thinkers or you arguers, listen, there are only two genealogies of Jesus in the scriptures, Matthew and Luke, the two smart guys that wrote their gospels. And they wrote their smart gospels to smart guys so they would be able to trace the genealogy of Jesus, therefore proving that Jesus fulfills all necessary steps and family relationships to be indeed the king of the world, to have a right throne. In those days, you had to have the right pedigree in order to sit on the throne and say, I'm the king. Now, it's not so important in our day, our pedigree and our family lineage. As a matter of fact, some of you guys have family trees. You're like, let's just not talk about that. Can we not talk about the family tree? Can we just forget about the family tree? I got a family bush. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, let's just, listen, this is included. Now, there's two genealogies. I'm not going to get super into it because it's just, I just, I'll say it quickly. Luke and Matthew both record two separate genealogies. One is for Mary, one is for Joseph. Both of which prove that Jesus fulfills all things necessary to be the king of the world. That, to me, is enough. Here's the part that I want to throw out there for application. If you read both genealogies, there will be within that family tree a bunch of names that kind of cause your eyebrows to go up. Really? 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 They're in there? They're in there? Why would you? Can we just forget about that? Can I look at your photo album? No. You know? Can I, can I go ahead and double click on your genealogy? No. Jesus says, go ahead. Not even afraid. And in this list, you can read it on your own time, there are names such as Abraham and Jacob and Noah and David. They're in here. And you guys might think, yeah, those are good, solid biblical names. Pretty much. Abraham. Let's talk about him for a second. Abraham. Good old honest Abe, right? Abraham. He's known as the father of faith. Two people got that. Good job. The rest of you just learned something. He's known as the father of faith, which means I believe. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. Sounds right. You remember Abraham's story at the beginning? He's walking there, called off his map with Sarah, and they come into this kingdom from some sketchy dudes, okay? Real sketch people, you know? It's probably, I'm not going to name any towns. Those sketchy people, you know? And so they come in, and Abraham sees this king. He's like, oh, no. This king's going to want to take my wife, and if he does that, he's going to kill me. Here's what I'll do. I'll just solve this myself. I'll tell this king that this is my sister, okay, and just give her to him and just cover my butt, and we'll just figure it out later. So this is Abraham's great idea. This is my sister, uh, Sarah, something like that. I don't really know. But you can have her, and he gives her to her. This king takes Sarah. This is what kings did back then. And he's about to have his way with her, and God shows up, gives him a dream, says, don't touch her. That's Abraham's wife. Now this king comes walking out of the bedroom. He's like, Abraham. Get over here. This is your wife, bro. God just told me I was about to get in trouble with your God. And Abraham's like, oh, uh, yeah, Frodian slip. Just kind of, you know, whoops. I forgot. This is Abraham. He did this twice in his life. Abraham, Abraham, oh, Abraham. Not just Abraham, but in this list, Jesus' genealogy, it's a guy by the name of Noah. Noah sounds pretty good. They made a movie out of him just recently. It's not biblical, but there was a movie about Noah. Noah. Anyways, Noah, he saved the world. Him and seven other souls did this great thing. But you guys know what Noah did right after he got off the ark? He started farming. Do you know what he grew? Wine. Okay? The guy gets off the ark and he's like, I want to grow wine. He grows grapes and gets drunk and gets all naked and does some really foolish stuff. You guys read the story. Not just Noah, not just Abraham, but Jacob's in this list. Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, which means God is my governor. God, God governs me. But before that, Jacob, he was a conniver, a schemer, a liar, a trickster. Man, the guy you couldn't trust him, shifty and shady. He's in Jesus' lineage as well. And the fourth guy I'll talk about is David. We all know King David. King David, a man after God's own heart. King David, though, when he was in his 50s, saw a woman that he shouldn't have been looking at. 
double-clicked on it and wanted to meet her and ended up sleeping with her, somebody else's wife. And then he lied about it, and then he killed her husband to cover it, and he kept lying for 15 months until finally his buddy Nathan comes and calls him on the carpet in order that he would be set free from his sin that he had so well hidden. And David is surrendered, and he confesses, and he is forgiven, yet there's consequences. Did you know the baby that he had with Bathsheba would die? Painful situation. Sin always brings pain, okay? Yeah, I hope you guys know that. If you're making deals with the devil right now, stop it. You're getting ripped off. I just promise you. I promise you. Well, this baby dies, but did you know that shortly thereafter, he would take Bathsheba to be his wife? He killed her husband. It's the right thing to do. And he would have another baby with her. That baby then, by God's grace, would be named Solomon. Kind of a big deal. Solomon wrote a couple books, Proverbs, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes. And through Solomon, by God's grace, would ultimately come Jesus Christ. I say all that to say this. This genealogy is here for the smart people. So we would understand and believe, yeah, he fits it all. But Jesus' past, his family, was all jacked up. All messed up. And he would say to you and I who have families that aren't necessarily perfect, listen, God is still faithful even to all generations. Here's a couple points. He's faithful through the generations. No matter what has happened behind you, God's faithfulness is with you. Number two, the most important thing about you might not even be you. Just get over yourself for a second. All of these people that are listed in this genealogy, I'm not going to list it, ultimately led to Jesus Christ being born. Their purpose, their life, their existence wasn't even about them, but about what God was going to do through them. I got three kids, Noah, Nemo, and Acacia, and I'm super concerned about their dad. That's me. And what I do, and how well I'm doing, and all the rest. But listen, God will use them even beyond the way he's used me. My biggest important stride and victory isn't even necessarily me, but those who come after me. And the third thing I need you to consider is your family behind you doesn't define the ministry in front of you. Satan wants some of you here to be so bogged down by your past. Well, I come from a long line of drug addicts. I come from a long line of alcoholics. I come from a long line of divorced families, blended families, dysfunctional families. I come from a long line of abusers. I come from a long... Listen, rebuke that today. Break that. Jesus here says, want to see my family? I'm not going to hide it. They're all messed up. And by the grace of God, I can find truth and I can find purpose and I can find healing moving forward. And God would have you to have that same kind of faith by God's grace As a matter of fact, without Christ, you actually don't have hope, but with him, you have hope beyond your past, beyond the people that have set up your future. It is now God's grace that leads you forward. So we see this here, in my opinion, uh, so beautifully. Look at verse 38 of chapter 3. This is the final entry into this long genealogy. I just love it. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Did you know that you needed to be able to trace your genealogy in those days to take the throne? And in 70 AD, shortly after this, 40 years after this was penned, 
the temple would be destroyed and all Jewish records would be destroyed as well. To this day, a good Jew cannot go back and trace their records to their birth, to the Son of God, to Adam and Eve. There's big missing pieces. But at this time, before those records were destroyed, it was recorded that Christ goes all the way through the messed up lineage, the messed up peoples, the messed up families, all the way to be the Son of God. And therefore, he deserves our worship, he deserves our praise, he deserves our satisfaction, and we can move forward setting a new a new mantra, a new, a new modus operandi to our families. As a matter of fact, I get asked from time to time by people what I believe about generational curses. I actually don't give it much thought. I just don't. Some people do. Some people have some verses they piece together, and it's going to follow for this third and second generation. You know what I say? I say, I say Christ breaks those curses. Christ comes in, and he translates us from darkness to his marvelous light. He does something in us immediately. And without reserve and without limitation and with power to do in us what you can't do for yourself. If it's up to you to break a generational curse and to start a new, new method and a new routine for your family, it's going to take a couple generations to iron things out. But if you have Christ in you, God has promises to pay for your past, to sustain your present, and to make sure that your future is in his purposes and his power so that being said now let's look at verse one of chapter four we're going to try and get to verse 13 so you guys got to listen listen fast today it says this then i've got that circled jesus being filled with the holy spirit returned from the jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil and in those days he ate nothing and afterward when they had ended he was hungry some of you guys get hungry after 40 minutes. As a matter of fact, there are super spiritual people who read this and say, oh, I'm going to fast for 40 days. I actually wouldn't recommend that to anybody. Did you know that physiologically you can fast for 40 days and on the 41st day, if you're in good health, on the 41st day, you'll actually die. It doesn't say he didn't drink. It says he didn't eat. When you fast for 40 days, and again, I would not recommend anyone to do this. It's just something Christ did for you. Don't be all hyper spiritual and think you've got to do it too. If you do, though, and study it out, for the first five days, you're real hungry. Then on the sixth day, your hunger goes away until the last day. Your body kicks in once again and says, hey, you're going to die. Tomorrow, you will be dead. You'll notice here at the end of the 40 days, he was hungry again. And it's on that day that he ate and was ministered to by the angels. Here, Jesus, for 40 days, 40 is again the number of wandering, the number of judgment, the number of testing. Jesus, our Savior, who previously got in the water. John said, no, you don't, need, you, you don't need to be baptized, Jesus. Let me in, because I'm here to identify with sinners. Doesn't that sound cool? Thanks, Jesus, for kind of knowing who I am and not, not pushing me aside, but getting in the same filthy waters I'd get into. Jesus doesn't stop there. He gets out of the water and puts on his gloves. He says, I'm not just going to stop with identifying with sinners. I'm going to go be tempted by sin for 40 days and not succumb to it. I'm going to go battle the same demons that will battle you your whole life. I'm going to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, without failure, unlike you, without folly, unlike us. I'm going to go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. So when you fail, when you fall, and you look to the one who identified with you, you'll know, listen, that he sympathizes as well. Do you get this? When you battle sin, when you battle carnality, when you battle rage and anger and gluttony and lust and all this stuff, that just you battle it. Don't you just feel like a heel? 
Don't you just feel like a dirty dog? I like the worst person in the world. You need to understand, Jesus went there. He's like, I know how that feels. I did it so you would believe me when I say, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and learn of me. I'll give you rest. I know what you're going through. I did this for you. And you need to get this about your Savior, because once you get this, the Bible says, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you, and draw near to the Lord, and he'll draw near to you. A lot of us like to resist the devil, okay? Say no once, twice, or thrice. But you got to understand, God's arms are right there. Say, now come and hang out with me. Say no to the junk, the funk, the skunk, the whatever, the stuff. Say no to it, and then come into my presence. But some of us say no, and then we feel bad because we got tempted. Felt bad because we battled for a whole day or for a week or for a month. I walk with people in their recovery. You ever seen a person who goes off of meth or off of heroin? And there is such a battle, chemical-induced, emotional wreckage, and they're walking clean. I've met people who've walked clean for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and you can tell there is still a battle going on. And God would say to them, hey, come here. Let me, I know. There's no shaming. I know what it's like. You need to come into my presence and be healed from your battle. Jesus here, our hero, he didn't need to do this. He didn't have to. And he says, I want you to know who I am so that way when you aren't who you want to be, you'll be comfortable in my presence. This morning, Nemo, there's a rule in my house. If you get up before seven, you have to do as many burpees as there are minutes before that time. It's a good rule. So I got up at 5.30 or so and was downstairs. And here's somebody coming down the stairs. I'm trying to get ready, trying to get in the zone. And here comes Nemo at 6.06. I said, Nemo, you owe me 54 burpees. And he was bummed. Not at that. And I, it, it, tears came into his eyes. I said, Nemo, you know the rules, dude. I said, what are you doing up right now? And he started crying. He said, I just want to be with you. Aww. Manipulator. <laughs> and I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I said, hey, the rules are you got to stay in bed till 7. Because otherwise they just get crazy. Kids get crazy. And so with tears, he went back upstairs. And I'm sitting there going, my heart's broken too. I'm like, ah, love that kid. But I got to stick to the rules. If, I, if you know this, I got to study too. And so I just sat there. But my, my father's heart for him was broken in his battle to do the right thing and to suffer the consequences. So too, God looks at you and says, I know, I, I know the battle. I've been there. I did this for you. Don't think of me as this high up. God that cannot sympathize with your weaknesses. The book of Hebrews tells us the exact opposite. Paul, who wrote the book of Hebrews, I believe, said you need to come into his throne room boldly in your time of need to obtain help and mercy. His throne room is one of grace. You need to run in there. You need to understand that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus here battle sin and temptation satan face to face in order that we wouldn't be so scandalized by our failures or by our attempts at greatness this radical baptism that jesus leaves in the desert leads him right into another desert and i'll tell you what i got baptized in the holy spirit in uh, 
1998, on January 1st, here in Newport at the Foursquare Church at 3 in the morning. I was visiting from Ashland, and a guy prayed for me, Warren Willie, and I got baptized. I went home and prayed in, the, in tongues all night long and woke up that morning about 7 a.m. there at San Beo Circle, and I walked in, at a, into the living room, and I had this look in my eye like this. And my dad's best friend, Bob Walton, was there visiting. He saw me. He's like, whoa, bro, what you got, man? And I told him, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit last night. And kid you not, he took a step back. He said, wow. He said, I just need to let you know it's not always going to be like this. And I was like, whatever, Debbie Downer, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I was actually kind of ticked off. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, it's not always going to be like this, this high. There's going to be hard times. And at, at that time, I was really mad. I was like, whatever, dude. He was, he was right. It's not, these hard times lead to testing times on purpose. Not to do you in, but to build you up, to show you off. When you go into the gym with a trainer or a coach or a friend, that good trainer, coach, or friend will say, let's work on this movement. Let's add more weight. Let's make this harder. Let's turn the fans off and the heat up, whatever the case may be. Why? To build you up, to test you. God says to you and to me also, if you step into the ring with me, I'm going to on purpose let it get a little hot. Okay, don't be all scandalized thinking you're doing something wrong. Been praying for those guys who got baptized this week that they wouldn't, because of a storm, because of a test, quit. You, you might even have experienced this in your own life. You get saved, you better get ready for a test. Raise your hand one day. I'm going to commit to reading the Bible. Okay, get ready. Life's going to get busy. I'm going to join a life group. Okay, get ready. They're going to be mean to you. You know, I'm going I'm to quit drinking. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit doing drugs. I'm going to quit doing this. Get ready. There's going to be temptation after temptation. I was living in Ashland one time with a bunch of ex-drug users and drug dealers. We were all walking with the Lord. And one day we got this package delivered to our house, returned to sender with our address. It had been in the mail for like a year, all over the place, and finally came back to our house. Nobody sent it from our house. It was a trick. And we opened it up, and it was a quarter pound of marijuana. Now, we're all ex-drug dealers, and we're thinking to ourselves, why does this happen? This never happened back in the day, you know? And we had this homeless guy living with us at the time, Kirby, this older guy, and he's all, make some brownies, you know, looking around. The temptation, man. I'm not, Satan will trick you, and you'll get a call. That old spark will light up again. Someone will call you. you say, I'm going I'm to stop doing this, and the challenges will come. I want the day to arrive in my life. Or when that challenge shows up, I rise up. I look at Jesus. All right, why, why am I surprised at this hardship? I, I did the right thing. I got married. We made it right. Eh, it's going to be hard. We did the right thing. We had kids, and now we're doing it. Eh, it's going to be hard. I got the job. I'm going to rise up and have responsibility. Eh, it's going to be hard. I'm going to serve in this way. I'm going to go to church and become a deacon. I'm going to join the helps ministry. I'm going to join the worship team. I'm going to join the life group. It's going to get hard. It's just the battle. It's the way it is. It's supposed to be this way. And again, the purpose is not to do you in, but to build you up. Okay? Jesus shows us this. And I just want you guys to, as we study through this, I'm going to rip through verses 1 through 13 quite quickly. There are two th reasons we study the scriptures. Always. Number one, always, is to find out what God did and who God is so we can worship God better and rest in him. It's all about God. Like you should be able to leave here today and be like, man, Jesus is amazing amazing second reason though is not just to exalt him but to edify yourself what we're going to learn today in this text is how can i then fight jesus did it perfectly and i'm so thankful and that's enough but i also want to learn from jesus and i want to know how can i push back on these three temptations 
I believe in the 40 days of temptation that there were lots of temptations. There's only three listed here. And they actually fall right in line with the first three temptations that were offered to our great-grandma Eve in the garden. These three temptations, which also correlate with 1 John chapter 2, where it says that there's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These three hooks that Satan puts out for you and I. I'm going to boil this down real simply. You've got to believe this, especially you guys and you gals. That's everybody. <laughs> Satan only has three hooks that he puts in the water, just three. He has innumerable bait, though. Okay? He puts bait on those hooks. The three hooks, though, appeal to our flesh and to our eyes and to our pride. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three hooks every single time. Now, the bait is different. The bait, actually, in and of itself, more often than not, isn't bad. It's almost like if you were to take a worm, a live worm, a real worm, and put it on a hook and throw it in the water. Is the worm bad? Not really. That fish likes worms. That fish was made to have worms. That's going to be a good... But the hook behind that worm causes that fish much harm. So, too, Satan plays on in your life and in my life many things that aren't in and of themselves bad they're actually good but you and i get out of bounds when we take what is good remove one o and make it god did you know that it's good or should i say it this way it's not a sin it's not bad to want a house over your head a roof over your head. don't have a house over your head a roof over your head to, to have clothes, it's not bad, it's not a sin to have those things. Did you know it's not a sin to want intimacy and, and affection from another person? That's not bad. Did you know that it's not a sin, it's not bad to want bread or food or to eat? Did you know it's not bad to want to take a nap and relax and rest? None of those things are bad, but when Satan perverts them, and when you begin to elevate them, and when then abuse comes in after them, those things that are not necessarily bad, but they ultimately become God and your identity, at that point, they become sin. This is the crazy part. The things that you desire right now that have become sinful aren't in and of themselves sinful. It's when you desire to and when you fail to and when you achieve to fulfill those desires in an illegitimate way. Matter of fact, what Jesus is tempted to do first and foremost is to take stones and make them into bread and eat them. Okay, Subway sandwiches right there in the wilderness. It's not a bad thing. Subway's not bad. Bread's not bad. But what he was out to do was not to do that. And Satan says, do something different. Follow me. Obey me. Indulge your flesh. Just give yourself a little bit of Kit Kat, a little satisfaction right now. Have it your way. And at that point, this would have been sin. So here's the deal. Let me just tell you a little bit about sin and temptation. Now, let me ask you a question first of all. When was the last time you were tempted? You mean like the last time this minute or... Or like the, earlier, you know, listen. <laughs> when was la let me just ask you a little differently. When was the last time you straight up battled a big one to, to, to look or to click or to, to go or to do or to touch, feel, taste, smell, whatever it was, and you battled hard? How did it go? How did that battle go? Did you, did you wage until you won? Or did you wage until you were wore out and tapped out? Satan wants us to tap out, to get war out. God wants us to man up, to war up, to stand up, and to resist the devil. He'll flee from you and draw near to the Lord and walk in victory every single time. Temptation's going to happen. Let me give you a few thoughts before we move into the text here. Number one, it's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted, and yet he didn't sin. You're going to be tempted every single day. As a matter of fact, Galatians 5.16 tells us this, that if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It doesn't say you won't have the lust of the flesh. You will. And there's something inside of me that when I have the lust of the flesh, 
when I have that thing going on inside of me, it bums me out, freaks me out. I don't want to feel that. I don't want to want that. I don't want to think that. Did you know that that's not a sin to have the lust of the flesh? It's a sin to double-click on it, to, to indulge in it, to embrace it, to consider it, to muse on it. Matter of fact, one time, years ago, struggling with sin and temptation, this woman, Helen Leiter is her name. She might be watching. Hi, Helen. Love you. Helen came up to me in a Wednesday night service and quoted that verse to me, Galatians 5.16. She said, you know what? It's not a sin to have the lust of the flesh. It's a sin to indulge the lust of the flesh. Set me free. Couldn't believe it. I was struggling so hard. Martin Luther actually used to beat himself in his prison-like cell before we would go to bed. And then he would stop beating himself bloody and quote a verse out of the Psalms that says, Here am I, Lord, save me. Finally, Martin Luther would read Romans chapter 1 where the Bible says the just shall live by faith and he would be set free from his own pressure to perform and to succeed. Number one thought you need to understand about temptation, it's not a sin to be tempted. That's natural. It's normal. Don't, though, let that defeat cause you to walk in failure. Number two, God will always provide a way out for your temptations. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that God will always provide a way for us to resist temptation and to find a way out. Number three, if you're taking notes or just writing this stuff down, you can write down James 4. Your faith will grow stronger every time you resist the devil and draw near to God. James 4, verses 7 and 8. Uh, here's a fourth thought. Jesus knows what it's like to battle sin and temptation, and his grace is for you right now. He's aware of your battle. Number five, sin is super fun for a season, and in the end is death. Have you figured that one out? Sin's fun. I'm not going to be up here and lie to you. I don't lie to my kids either. But the crazy things this world offers them, I'm super honest. The drugs and the addiction and... And, and the things that this world will offer them, because I know my kids are going to be exposed to that one day, and they're going to taste it, and they're going to feel it, and they're going to say, that was awesome, Dad. Say, I know. But just wait. Just wait. When it catches up with you, the Bible declares that the wages of sin is death, that there is fun for a season. This will seem okay. This will seem right. This will seem so good, like an entire bag of Cheetos. <sighs> but eventually, that bag of Cheetos will catch up with you. Eventually, it won't fulfill you like it promised to fulfill you. I'm not going to lie to my kids. I'm not going to lie to you. Sin's fun, but it won't be what you thought it was at the end. Number six, Jesus resisted sin with the help of the same power that is in you. Jesus used the word of God and the spirit of God to say no to sin. A lot of people want to take this portion of scripture and say, well, Jesus was God. Of course he didn't sin. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And when he faced the devil, he did so in his manhood with the power of the Holy Spirit in him and the word of God beside him, just like you and I have. And he stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with that test and was not conformed to the world's standards. So, too, you don't have to. Number seven, when you pass the test, the test will pass. This is good news. There's some people in here right now, you're so burdened by your sin, been battling the same thing for weeks, months, years, decades oh and you just want to freak out oftentimes i'll get young men come into my presence and say i'm struggling with lust or pornography or sexual immorality and the first thing i do is i smile at them and they usually get mad at me what are you smiling about what are you smiling at me for and i say well because because you're gonna win because i've been there i understand and i fought and i failed and i fought and I stood up, and I fought, and now I'm free, and I get it. I know what it's like to be on both sides, and you're going to win. And God's grace is sufficient. When you pass the test, the test will pass. And then, and then, and then, God will use you in other people's lives to smile. 
when they come into your presence and say, I'm going through a divorce, oh, give me a hug. Okay? I, can, I can walk with you through this. God's grace is sufficient for your sins, for your mistakes, for your failures, for your wounds, for your, for your pain. Oh, I'm going through this loss. I'm going through this. or I'm addicted. Give me a hug. We're going to make it through this. And when you pass the test, the test will pass. And God will then use the same comfort that he gave you to comfort others. Last and finally, before we get into the text, listen to this. Without that test that you're in right now, you won't have a testimony. God is building you up right now. And it's through your testimony in him that he gets more glory through your life. Troy Deli asked me in the hallway at the first service, how you doing? I was like, you know, I'm good. This and that. I get scared. I get anxious. I get overwhelmed. I get tired. And then I zoom out and I remind myself, God's got me this far without my help. Like he is, he's been this good thus far. I've been there the whole time. I know how much trouble I cause. And if he got me this far, the testimony, he'll get us farther. He'll get you to the next journey. He'll take care of the next giant in front of you. He'll do what needs to be done. If he's been this faithful just to me, and not just to me, but to this church, and not just to this church, but to his people, he's been so faithful. And I, oh, but will there be more battles? Uh, yeah. Will there be some tests today? Yeah. Will it be tough? Yeah. I'm actually excited tomorrow morning. Maybe in the afternoon. I don't know yet. I'm going to go to the gym. Got to go do CrossFit. I'm excited. I'm just barely not sore enough that I can walk from the last time it worked out. Now I get to go back in there and do it again. I'm excited. Wouldn't it be rad if in our spiritual lives we're like, all right, that was crazy. That was nuts, man. The way I had to overcome that addiction. The way I had to overcome that relationship. The way I had to resist the devil. I almost, I almost tapped out, but I didn't. Wonder what's next. Wonder what God's going to do. Lord, let's do this. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Stop right there, eyes up here. How many of you guys want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay? And then ask if you were. I said, how many of you guys want to? You guys should all say, yeah, I want to. Listen, why? Well, so I can be dominant over people for sure. Yeah. Why do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm probably going to feel real good. Here's Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? So he can go battle on empty stomach. Whoa. Lord, I want to be full. I want to know more. I want to have more. Why? So you can serve others. Wouldn't that be radical? Most of us in here want more stuff of some sort, more peace, more power, more love, more something. Why? Make your motive to give it away to give it to others. Lord, give me the spirit. Why? For the test. Lord, give me more resources. Why? So I can help people. So I can serve. Careful with this consumer mentality. Jesus is filled, goes into the wilderness to fight. By the way, there's only been two perfect people in the world ever, Adam and Jesus. Adam failed in his test, in his temptation, and was banished to the wilderness. When tested in the Garden of Eden, Adam bombed out. It was the first Adam bomb. Sorry. And, and the fallout is felt by all of us. It just goes, you know. Jesus picks up where Adam left off. Jesus fighting in the wilderness where Adam had failed over and over, where you and I have failed. Jesus, the second Adam, is what the Bible calls him, the second Adam, the perfect man. And under his temptation for 40 days with the devil, verse 2, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they were ended, he was hungry. Here's the first of the temptations that are listed. This is the lust of the flesh. And the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. 
have a six-inch sub right now, bro. Verse 4, but Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. This, again, is a temptation to fulfill Jesus' flesh. His desires. Now, they were not illegitimate desires, yet Jesus had set out to do this for 40 days. And so at this point, had Jesus succumbed, he would be, A, obeying the devil. Not a good thing. And he would, B, be fulfilling the lust of his flesh. Careful. So often the devil will come to you in a time of need or weakness when maybe you've been serving like Jesus or you've been giving out or you're weak and he'll tempt you and just say, just take care of yourself, man. Just give yourself a little bit. You deserve a break. Why should everyone else get all the fun? Why should everyone else be fulfilled? Just go ahead and take a little bit from the office or enjoy a little bit here. No one's looking and be careful. Notice how Jesus resists this. He says, hey, man shall not live by or be fulfilled by bread alone. All this carnal stuff, normal stuff, fleshly stuff. Here's how man is satisfied, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You want to be satisfied? I'm not messing with you. It will not come in the next relationship or the next fulfillment of the flesh or the next endeavor or the next success horizontally. You want to be fulfilled? It's going to be in God's presence and through his word. I promise you this. I promise you this. Well, I'm just going to turn the radio up and listen to some rock and roll. I'm going to go over here and do this. I'm going to get that. I'm going to go. Okay. See you when you get back. See, when you get back, man shall not live by these things, but by God's word. And when you decide to, in your time of depravity and carnality and testing and trial and emptiness and hardship, go to God in his word, you'll find yourself satisfied and satiated. Well, the devil wasn't done there. Matter of fact, verse 5 goes on to say, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority, I have that circled, I will give you in their glory, I have that circled, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is crazy. The devil brings him up on a high plateau and shows him Vegas and L.A. and Hong Kong and all these these villages, all these kingdoms and glory and authority. He says a couple crazy things. He says, all of this authority and glory I'll give to you because they've been delivered to me. Now, Jesus doesn't stop him and correct him. No, those aren't yours. Those are mine. In other words, it's true. All of those things on this world horizontally, the authority and the glory here are in Satan's control. And he gives them to whoever he wishes. And when kingdoms rise and when people are elevated, when platforms are broadened, oftentimes it's the devil's doing. I'll go ahead and give you some victory. I'll go ahead and keep you away from God's point of view, and I'll make you the happiest, fattest, biggest, most authority-given, glory-driven person on earth. (gasps) Really? Yeah. All you got to do is worship me. No big deal. And not only do you do the wrong thing in worshiping Satan, but you live the wrong life down here for the authority and the glory that is temporal. Now, here's the crazy part. Jesus Christ would attain authority and glory like none other, but it wouldn't be through a fast track, a cop out, taking advantage of others, it would be through the cross of Christ. This temptation to Jesus, here, I'll give you everything that you're going to get anyways, but there's no suffering, no sacrifice, no service involved, just you. And Jesus says, nah, I'm not doing that. As a matter of fact, I will get all the authority. I will get all the glory, but it's going to come. My crown will come with a cross also. Look at verse 7. He says, therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. 
And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Stop right there, eyes up here. I'm not sure what Jesus' tone was like, but I don't know how you would say, Get behind me, Satan, without being a little lippy. You know what I'm saying? Like, Hey, get behind me, Satan, just kind of right behind me. No, he's like, I think he's a little bit TO'd here, and I'm okay with it. Because he's offering Jesus what Jesus would get apart from the cross. And Jesus is thinking, you for real? It's not about here, the glory and the authority. That is not what the world is. The world's an upside-down kingdom. And if you want to get yours served to you here, you actually can. Don't do it. There will be glory and there will be authority to those who go the route of the cross, the route of sacrifice, the route of service, the route of faith. The route of worship to God. Satan said, just worship me. It's not that big a deal. I'll give you everything that you're wanting. And Jesus rebukes him, says, get behind me. There's only one who deserves worship, and that is God, and it is not you. So too, in our lives, let's not sell out for a quick fix of the things that the devil wants us to receive and to enjoy here, when in reality, God says, I've got for you what you're longing, but it's not the way of worship of the devil. Look at verse 9, the last temptation. It says, then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And that's just kind of like a stupid temptation. And I read that, I'm like, really? You're going to bring Jesus up on top of a, uh, of a building and say, jump off if you're God. But then again, he quotes, he quotes scripture. He goes on, verses 10 and 11. Pinch yourself. Satan quotes scripture. Satan has at least two verses memorized. Yeah, that's two more than some of you here. Just pointing it out. For it is written, Satan's talking now, verse 10. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. Now that verse actually goes on. It's a partial verse, which is what the devil does. That's what false teachers do. It's what evangelists and people that shouldn't be using the scripture, they use it in a wrong way. He perverts scripture. He doesn't give the whole text. Verse 11, Satan goes on to say, In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. I love how Satan quotes a verse, and Jesus, to defend himself, quotes another verse, only quotes it accurately and rightly. Both of them using the Bible here. Have you ever talked to somebody who uses the Bible and instantaneously you just think you need to listen to them? Has that ever happened to you? Someone's like, Well, the Bible says this, this, and this, and you're like, Uh... Wow, you really know your stuff. Listen, I pray in Jesus' name that we would know our stuff better, that we would actually know the scriptures, that we would know what it says. Three times Jesus quotes out of Deuteronomy. Not dude, you're on to me. Deuteronomy, it's a book in the Bible. And he quotes scriptures that he had tucked away ready for the temptation. You guys ever done your morning devotionals? And they're kind of like oatmeal, you're just eating it, it's kind of dry. You're like, oh, I just got to get it in there, I'm not really sure what, how this applies to my life. And you ever done your devotionals and it's like spot on, exactly what you needed, it's the best thing you've ever read in your life? You're like, oh. Either way, when you do your devotionals, whether you enjoy it right away or you're just prepared for the day's tests, I have found more often than not, as I go about my day, I'll interact with somebody, get a phone call, a text, somebody's going through a problem or a trial. And you know what I have on my mind? That verse i read that didn't make any sense earlier that story oh that time and i'm able to resist the devil and able to lean on the scripture the only way that's going to happen for you and me though is if we have our morning devotionals is if we're in the word you only live once okay and it's over and the judgment comes there are so many people young and old especially the young 
So many people, though, that are wasting their lives on things. Facebook and Snapchats and YouTubes and this and that, relationships and experiences. And God has said, hey, you know what you need to do is get my word into you. You need to get this tucked away because there's battles coming. Yeah, but I got these funny YouTube videos I'm going to show the devil if he tempts me. What? What? When I got, when I gave my life to the Lord, age 19 and 20, I'm so blessed, 38 now. The Lord put in me a, a hunger to know his word. I would listen to one, two, three, sometimes five sermons a day. Just listen to pastors. Listen to teaching. Get to know the Old Testament, the stories. I, I, it was out of devotion, out of love. I just needed to love, get in. I was, I was so different than the things that I'd given my life to before, and I wanted to know God and his word. And I'm telling you what, as I now stand on that foundation, lead my wife and my kids in this church, in this town, I am so thankful for God's word tucked away and stowed in my heart. And it's not too late for you if you haven't started yet. It's not too late. You need to read his word, memorize it, get into it. You don't know when you're going to need it. You're going to need it, though. And the next time you're tempted or tried, you can't hit, time out, I've got to go read up on this one. No, you're going to need something right then and there. Or when somebody calls you in a moment of hardship and needs counsel, and you have words for them. I got calls all week long, people dying, people falling apart, people needing help, disasters. And I don't give them my advice, my counsel, and my comfort. I give them the scripture, the word. This is what they, it's what you need, it's what I need, it's what will hold us. We got three guys in our fellowship we're sending to the Antioch Christian Training School in August. Noah Hines and Kevin Casada and Isaiah Brooks. We're sending them up there. They're raising their own money. We're going to help them raise their... They're going to go there for four months and learn the scriptures, learn how to serve, how to memorize and recite and share. And they're going to go to Thailand and minister. And we're excited to see these guys tuck the word away. And it's not too late for you to start as well. Jesus uses the scriptures time in and time again. Look at verse 13. This will be our last verse. It says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, listen, until an opportune time. What does that mean? That's like scary town. Like, oh, you won this one, Jesus, but I'll be back. Uh. That's what it says. It's going to be a battle until you die, just so you know. I heard an 88-year-old man talking to a young man. And the young man said, when do you stop dealing with lust, man, to the 88-year-old guy? And the 88-year-old guy's response was, well, I'll tell you what, it's not when you're 88. <laughs> I'm going to have the worship team come up and join us, and we're going to repent together. There's a few people here right now that are, you're amused. You're sitting here right now thinking, you guys really believe in the devil? <laughs> really? That's weird. There's a few people here. You really believe this? That there's a real devil? And you don't believe that, and the devil's super pleased. You're, you're probably serving him to one degree or another. The reality is there's a battle, a straight-up battle, and the devil puts hooks. He's only got three, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He's only got three hooks. And I want all of us here to be equipped this morning with discernment to be able to 
smell those hooks and say, you know what? You know what this might be? This might be a trap. This might be something that's going to take me further than I want to go and cost me long, more than I can pay and keep me longer than I wanted to stay. This is going to produce death in my life. You ever been fishing in real clear water or shallow water and you got your hook in the water and you see that fish come up and smell your bait? You ever seen that before? And you're sitting there sweating with your pole, grab it, grab it. And the fish just swims off. You're like, no, you're supposed to grab. Listen, let's be those fish that, that sense the devil luring you away for stupid stuff, foolish stuff. Stuff that might not be sinful, but because God's got you on a different path, it is. You'd say, I'm going to ride. How are you going to do this? By God's word, by God's spirit. The two things he's given to you liberally and without reproach. He wants us to be overcomers. You're going to get tested tomorrow. Satan will come back at an opportune time. I guarantee you. Had a good day, had a good week. Cool, get ready. Stow that word away. Stand upon the promises of God, the declarations of God. Fight back. And can I just say this? When you fail or if you fail or as you fail, look back on this chapter where Jesus didn't. Jesus said, I was baptized with sinners, though I knew no sin. And then I battled sin and temptation and resisted it. And then I lived for three years and I would go to the cross and I would pay for all the sins that I never did. I'd pay for all the sins that you did so well. Even on our darkest day, we are still in Christ victorious. It is about him. He is our champion. He is our prize fighter. He is the one that will get us into heaven, that will lead us through earth. He is the one we cling to and we are satisfied in. And so would you bow your heads and pray with me before we prepare to come to the table. Father, in Jesus' name, we're going to come to the table and celebrate Jesus Christ and his broken body and his spilled blood. And we're going to do so, Lord, with great joy because he has forgiven us of our sins. Not only has he forgiven us of our sins past, but Lord, he has equipped us to fight as we move forward. That we don't have to bow down to lust and temptation, laziness and gluttony and addiction and rage and anger. We don't have to in Jesus' name. May we know the word. May we stand on it. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fill the men here in Jesus' name right now with the Holy Spirit. If you're a man here right now and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to fight sin and carnality, would you just nod your head to your God right now? Just nod. You need to be filled. Lord, you see the nodders right now. Just fill them in Jesus' name. And if you're a woman here, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to fight back against the lies and the darkness and the temptation to know what's right and to move forward. And you're a woman here. Would you just nod your head and say, fill me, Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill the nodders in Jesus' name right now. Lord, fill us. We need you. And Lord, may your word become to us gold and precious. Would we become knowledgeable in your word? Not to be puffed up, Lord, but to be servants, to be those who have been tested and tried and found true. Jesus, only you can help us do this. Only you can pick us up when we fail only you have created a platform of grace to make all things possible and so we serve you we love you we remember you and we proclaim your death until you return bless this time of celebration now we pray in jesus name and everyone said